All right, good morning, y'all. Man, it feels good to be home. I mean, this is, yeah, I, goodness sakes, I, I couldn't be more excited to be here with you guys. I, it, it's kind of, a, this whole thing is just kind of a surreal moment for me, you know. I, as Jeff was saying, I, I grew up here. My dad was the pastor here for 25 years, so man, this is, this is my hometown. I, I grew up with a lot of y'all. Uh, some, of the, some of the older folks probably busted my chops for running in the halls in this place, you know, and, and maybe even worse than that. I don't know. I wasn't usually doing anything that bad, though. It was those doggone deacon kids that I ran around with. <laughs> they were really the culprits. I was just an innocent bystander. But man, this is, this is cool for me. Like I truly, truly honored to be here outside of where God has called me to be at Cali Harbin Baptist Church in Villarica, Georgia. There is genuinely no other place that I would rather have the privilege of guest speaking than, than in this place. And, and obviously because of you guys, because of the love and respect I have for your pastors and Man, I got to see my hero do it here for 25 years. So that's a, yeah, it's, a, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. So I'm, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you for having me. And let's, uh, let's pray before we get started. Jesus, oh man, you have done so much over the last year. And, and you have, uh, despite so many things that I would change if I could, there, there's so much work that you've also been doing. And I just pray, God, that you would uh, be glorified in this place this morning. I pray that lives would be changed. I, I pray, God, that if there's anyone here who has never come to saving faith, that today would be that day. Um, God, the best thing that I can do is get out of your way. And so I pray that I would do that so that your word could have free course and be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to take a little bit of time to talk about this thing of being fishers of men. And I know that most of you guys have been around long enough to understand that when I say the term fishers of men, that that's a reference to evangelism in the life of a believer, right? We've been, we've been called to be fishers of men or we've been called to, to share our faith or share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with those that don't believe. That's the, that's the mission that God gave to us. It's, it's a responsibility, but we also know that it's a privilege. And, and it happens to be the only way to justify God leaving us on this planet after we got saved instead of just taking us up to heaven at the moment of salvation. Because everything else that we've been called to pursue in this life, everything else that God desires from us is gonna be better accomplished in heaven than it can be right here. God wants us to be holy. Well, wow, we're gonna have bodies incapable of sinning once we get to heaven, won't we? God wants us to know him. We're gonna know him there like we've never known him before. God wants us to worship him and, and sing his praises in heaven and, man, it wants, and sing his praises. But man, once we get to heaven, we're going to be singing his praises like never before, better than we could possibly imagine. I've got a terrible voice and my mom and sister will testify to that. 
But when I get there, boy, boys to men ain't going to have nothing on me. God wants us to, to love him. In heaven, we're going to love like he loves. You see, once we get to heaven, everything else that God desires in a believer of, of a believer in Jesus Christ will be better accomplished in heaven than we can on earth except for one thing. And that one thing is being fishers of men. That one thing is evangelism. It's the one thing we won't be able to better accomplish in heaven than we can on earth because once we get to heaven, y'all, it's too late. What's done is done. There is no going back. There are no do-overs. This is it. It's the only way to justify leaving us here after salvation. And, and man, as I step back and I just observe the landscape of, of believers that are a part of churches, like the ones that we're a part of, so believers that are passionate about the word and, and believers that are, that are rooted in sound doctrine, Believers who understand we've been called to train up other believers and get them grounded in the truth and believers that desire to see people grow to maturity in the faith and understand how to defend their faith against false teaching and man, those are all incredible things that that we should be doing and and things we should be passionate about. But if I, I step back and I observe the landscape of most believers in good churches, Man, it's hard not to notice this gaping hole as it relates to this thing of evangelism. Evangelism is the elephant in the room in my estimation. There, there are churches full of people that can tell you about dispensationalism and they can tell you about the gap theory. They can explain their soteriology and their eschatology and every other ology imaginable. But we go massive periods of time without sharing our faith with a single soul. That, that may be the true pandemic or disease of like-minded Bible believers across the world. The disease infecting us are, is those that hold the truth and are silent about it. James Merritt is a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He once mentioned this mind-boggling statistic, and it was that 90% of believers in the Southern Baptist Convention, I know we're not Southern Baptist Convention, I get that, but 90% of believers in the Southern Baptist Convention had never shared their faith a single time. The World World Evangelization Research Center estimates that the total cost of Christian outreach averages $330,000 per new believer. Think about that for a second. $330,000 for every new believer. And, and certainly, there is no dollar amount that we could put on a person coming to Christ. But my goodness, how sad is it that God has blessed us in so many churches with incredible access to resources and finances, but instead of actually using those to reach people with the gospel, we sit in air-conditioned buildings learning more cool things about God while a lost and dying world is going to hell all around us. So if we've been called to be fishers of men, then I, then I think we might have some explaining to do. We, we have some questions to answer, and, and I don't think the question is, why aren't the fish biting? I, I, I don't think it's that the fish aren't biting. I think it's that we're not fishing. <laughs> why aren't we fishing, y'all? Why aren't we out there doing the main thing that we've been left here to do? There's, there's a lot of deep things in the Bible that we could miss 
But this isn't one of them. It's, it's the mission we were left here to do. It, and it would seem that as, instead of having a, a preoccupation with the mission, we're preoccupied worrying about what the person that we should be sharing the love of Christ with may think of us. Instead of sharing with our neighbor how great God is, we keep our mouths closed because we're worried about how great our neighbor thinks we are. Instead of being worried about the work of the Lord, we're too worried about how being seen as a Jesus freak at work may affect our ability to move up the corporate ladder. And somehow, after knowing we've been called to be fishers of men, we let ourselves off the hook. No pun intended. We let ourselves off the hook as it relates to this thing of evangelism. As Americans, we're, we're passionate about our religious liberties, and certainly nothing wrong with that. But as we praise the Lord for our religious liberties that we still have, at least for now, I think we need to ask ourselves a very important question. Over the last six months... How have I taken advantage of my religious liberty that I value so much other than attending services in this building? In other words, over the last six months, since, I, since I'm essentially free to share the gospel with anybody at any time, anywhere, who all have I shared the gospel with? Isn't it amazing what we're willing to give up in the name of freedom, you know? They don't have to take it from us. We've been giving it away for free. So again, I want to ask us, why aren't we fishing? And maybe a reason is because we, we've never considered and understood the significance of Jesus calling us to be fishers of men. That's the first blank in your outline. The significance of Jesus calling us to be fishers of men. Keep in mind, Jesus could have described that thing However he wanted, he could have used any metaphor that he wanted, but he chose to call us fishers of men. Have you ever sat down and thought about that analogy for a second? There, there's a parallel passage in Mark chapter 1, but I want us to see where Jesus uses this phrase in Matthew's account of the story found in Matthew chapter 4. And, and in this chapter, Jesus has been tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and, and he's just beginning his earthly ministry, and and he begins to call his first disciples and pick up with me in verse 18, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and they followed him. And, and sometimes I think we tend to read over a passage like that without really taking a minute to just process or think about what being called a fisher of men was actually intended to teach us. Okay, so I, I get it. Peter and Andrew were, they were fishermen. So Jesus is kind of playing off of that. I, I get that, but, but that was no accident. He still could have used any illustration, any metaphor, and used any occupation to make the comparison. But for some reason, he compares us to being called fishers of men and, and knowing how calculated God is in his word and knowing how he doesn't haphazardly throw anything in there, I think it's important we don't skip over that without asking ourselves why. And what's clear in this passage is that men are compared to fish. Okay, we also see this in Habakkuk 1.14. We see men compared to fish. The Bible says, and makest men as the 
fishes of the sea. And so again, we, we see this thing of men being compared to fish. And in the case of us being described as fishing for men, men are fish that are being pulled through the water and out of the water and, and have been caught. Okay, so check this out. This group understands that there are three applications of Scripture. We've got the historical application, which is the past, the devotional or the practical application, which is the present, and the prophetic application, which is the future. All right, so from a prophetic or a future application of this metaphor, this analogy that Jesus is using, remember, we're like, we're, we're like fish being pulled through the water and pulled up out of the water, and we've been caught. And so if, if men are like fish, all men and women and children have lived under a large body of water. And if you've been around this church or you've listened to Theology Roundtable, I have no doubt you've heard about this frozen sea of glass mentioned in Revelation 4-6 that's beneath the throne room of God in the third heaven and divides the second heaven from the third heaven. So if you're a fish that's been caught, check this out, just like a fish is pulled through the water and out of the water by a fisherman, in the future, at the rapture, we will be pulled up through that sea of glass, out of it into the third heaven, and we will forever be caught by the divine fisherman, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And just like in baptism, we're put under the water representing death, we just saw this, and brought out of the water representing resurrection. We will be brought past the sea of glass at the rapture because death has lost its sting and will be brought out of the water to live forever in the presence of the Lord. And this is the culmination of our salvation. That by God's grace, while we were on earth, there was someone in our life that took the call to be fishers of men seriously. They, they told us the truth of the gospel and, and we responded to that message in faith and God saved us by grace through that faith. So the divine fisherman pulling us through the frozen sea and passing through the frozen sea into the third heaven is that future application of that, of that passage. But there's only one problem. The future or prophetic application of being a fisher of men will only be realized in people's lives if there are people on this planet that take the devotional application or the present application seriously. Because applying it from the devotional or the present standpoint, the fishermen aren't divine, y'all. The fishermen are you and me. And, and the fishermen are fishing for the souls of men that are, that are currently submerged in the water picturing judgment and death and Jesus has tasked us and he's given us the privilege and responsibility to go out and to fish for these souls. So the future application of this passage where, where God is pulling believers through that frozen sea and into the third heaven for eternity, it's just more head knowledge if we don't understand and act upon the fact that right now presently, God has called us to fish for men so that one day in the future, God will pull them through that frozen sea into the third heaven where they'll spend eternity with him. And again, we've got to keep in mind, Jesus could have used any metaphor that he wanted. So, so, so what else is God trying to teach us through this illustration? And I'm the kind of guy that 
man, I like the, I like the outdoors all right, but none of y'all have ever accused me of being much of a fisherman. But, but I do believe that I've picked up at least on a couple things through the years to know that in order to be a good fisherman, there, there are a couple basic things I think God wants us to know about this analogy. So what I want us to see is all born out of the fact that, that being a good spiritual fisherman requires us to be proactive. Being a good spiritual fisherman requires us to be proactive. It's all born out of that, and that, that first proactive move that we have to make is letter A in your notes. We must be able to see the sea. We must be able to see the sea, and I'll tell you what I, I mean by that. One of the issues that, that I believe we have as it relates to evangelism is, is somehow, as we've read our Bibles through the years, we've, we've missed just how proactive and intentional that God really intends us to be with the mission that he gave to us. You see, fishermen have to be intentional about this thing. They have to be able to see the sea and make proactive moves in order to catch the fish, right? Fish don't typically just randomly jump in your lap walking down the street. That's not how, that's not how they work, and they're definitely not going to do that if you're not even around fish. That doesn't happen physically, and it doesn't happen spiritually. So, so it doesn't take a genius to figure out that a good spiritual fisherman makes proactive moves to get around the fish. In our text this morning, Peter and Andrew had to make an effort to go to the water. Certainly in a lot of cases, fishermen would be in boats. It's likely that in Matthew chapter four that Peter and Andrew were, were likely wading in the water and casting nets. But anyway, you slice it, there were, there were proactive moves that were being made in order to get within proximity of the fish. They're not waiting for them to just jump in their lap. And, and they sure aren't waiting for them to jump in their lap if you're not around the water. And so it's a simple concept, y'all, but it's a concept that I believe that believers in these last days don't totally get. I don't think we've grasped it. We've got to be proactive. We've got to be able to see the sea. Have you ever thought about how simple yet profound the word go is when Jesus gave us the Great Commission? We, that's the next blank in your study sheet, go. We, we all know the verse, so it's, so it's easy to skim past it and, and, and not process what Jesus is trying to show us by those specific words that he chose to use. Go ye therefore, Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Okay, guys, we've been commanded and commissioned to go. Jesus could have easily said, hey guys, I, I want you to, to teach and baptize, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. He, he could have just said that, but he, he throws that stinking word go in there, and it's a proactive word, and it's also implied when he says all nations. But we inherited that commission the, the day that we got saved. It wasn't just for the pastors, it wasn't just for the missionaries, it was for all of us. And somewhere along the line, believers in Jesus Christ, I think we've forgotten this. We've been called to go, which means we're to proactively and intentionally pursue opportunities to get around those that don't believe and share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. Yet most of us go our whole lives 
and we never tell a soul, all while claiming our relationship with the Lord is the number one thing in our life, and that our lives are not our own. I've been bought with a price. And all the while, we've got a command to go straight from Jesus' mouth, and we don't do it. Something isn't quite lining up. In order to be fishers of men, we need to proactively and intentionally go where the fish are. There's another proactive term the Bible uses that I, that I want us to see that Paul makes. Hey, have you ever seen the, the seemingly odd statement that, that he makes in Romans 10, 15? Romans chapter 10 and, and verse 15 And how shall they preach except they be sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Those that that preach the gospel have beautiful feet. That's your next blank, feet. They have beautiful feet. What's he talking about? I think feet are kind of gross personally. But, but, but he talks about beautiful feet. Maybe those that preached the gospel were known for having a, a fresh pedicure back then. I, I, don't, I don't know, but beautiful feet for those that share the gospel. I, I think God's trying to teach us something by saying that because what would make a whole lot more sense to me is if he said, how beautiful is the mouth? How beautiful is the, the tongue even of those that preach the gospel? That, that makes more sense, right? Because your mouth or your tongue is the actual body part doing the preaching. <laughs> but I think what God wants to emphasize to us is that you're not going to get the chance to move your tongue unless you move your feet. <laughs> We're to proactively go. And then we come to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15 when Paul's talking about putting on the armor of God. And he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And again, we see this connection to feet in the gospel. When, again, you'd think that sharing the gospel would be connected to your mouth. If you didn't know any better, you'd think Paul had some sort of foot preoccupation. <laughs> like, like he, he, he's got something with these feet he keeps bringing up. But I, I think you're connecting the dots. He, we, we keep seeing feet connected to the gospel because we're called to proactively and intentionally go. We have to make an effort to get around unbelievers. And man, I, I understand that there's a lot of us that we're not, we don't feel like we're consistently around that many unbelievers. But listen, y'all, we've been commanded to fish, and so we've got to go where there are fish. And you say, well, man, I don't even know where to begin. Well, man, what would be so crazy about reaching out to an unbeliever that you know and inviting them over for dinner? What what would be so crazy about inviting them to have coffee, right? We do that for work all the time. What would be so crazy about loving one of your unbelieving friends so much that you took the initiative to spend time with them in hopes of sharing with them the best news they've ever heard and the greatest story ever told? I've got, I've got friends, they could, they could exercise at home, but they go to the gym to get around unbelievers. I've got a pastor friend who started a softball league for the purposes of getting around more people that don't believe. And they've seen people come to the Lord from it. And, and there are all kinds of ways to skin the cat, and some things yield more fruit than others. 
But the bottom line is we should always be finding somewhere to fish. And once we're where the fish are, just like Peter and Andrew, the next thing we need to have is we need the right equipment. Now I know there's some fishermen in here and, and man, you guys have, you know, you guys have a lot of fancy equipment. You know, for, for priding yourselves on, on being tough guys, you sure do have a lot of things, you guys sure do have a lot of fancy things. You know, you guys have your waders, right? So y'all don't get wet. And I mean, I shouldn't be hating because I'm not even man enough to go in the first place. But y'all have, y'all have these have the waders, you know, to keep yourself dry. You've got all kinds of fishing poles, you know, like 30 of them lined up. You've got all those things, right? We've got all kinds of bait. But man, Peter and Andrew, they just had a net. That's all they had. In your notes, I have it as nothing but net. They, all they had was, was a net. So when, when Peter and Andrew cast their net, their hope was is that net would be used as the method to bring the fish out of the water, of course, symbolizing salvation. And God has given us a net too. And the net that God has given us is declaring the message of the gospel. The message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Romans 1.16, Paul teaches that For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The power of God unto salvation is the gospel. There's something extremely powerful about sharing that message. God uses the proclamation of that message to pull souls out of Satan's grasp and into the arms of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've been called as fishers of men to cast that net of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people and nations. As fishers of men, the gospel is our fishing equipment. You see, what can sometimes happen is, is that we, we make this effort to get in front of the lost world and, or somehow or another we end up around them, but we just never cast our net into the water. Fish are all around us and and we're too ashamed of the gospel to share with them. We just looked at Romans 1.16. We saw that Paul was unashamed of the gospel because he understood how powerful that thing was. Do you understand how powerful it is? Because if we did, I think we'd open our mouths unashamedly. If we understood the power in that message that Jesus was God in human flesh, that came to this earth to die our death, so that our sin and the, and the sin of the world could be atoned for. And that he rose from the dead in, in victory over sin. So that every person that calls on the name of the Lord could be saved. And that by sharing that message with somebody else, it's possible that God could use us as his fishermen to be a part of pulling them out of the water. That they may be captured by the truth and have new life in Jesus Christ. If we understood the power of that message, I think we'd throw that net in the water a lot more than we do. See, many of us are surrounded by a body of water that's full of fish every day. Our problem isn't getting around the fish. That's not our issue. Our problem is that fish are all around and we don't open our mouth. We don't cast our net. We never boldly cast the net of the gospel and we capture them with the truth And I want to say to us that I believe that there are more opportunities to tell people about the gospel than we realize when we're actually looking for them. If our relationship with God is our whole life, 
And we talk to these people about all kind of stuff. Sports and, and the weather and our kids, what we stinking had for lunch. How is it that the gospel that changed every single thing about our lives would never come up? How could that not come up? There's a whole lot we can glean as we look at the significance of being called fishers of men. And, and so far we've seen that as fishers of men we need to see the sea. We, in other words, we need to be proactive and intentional. We need to go. We need to move our feet. And once we're there amongst the fish, we've got nothing but net. In other words, the equipment we're using is the message of the gospel. We're to cast the net of the gospel message to catch fish with the truth. So, so that's some of the devotional things that we glean from the significance of the term that Jesus chose when he called us to be fishers of men. And, and maybe some of us don't realize that. And so that's why so few believers today are actively sharing their faith. Maybe we aren't fishing because we've never completely understood until this moment the significance of the call to be fishers of men. But there may be some of us that understood all those things, and maybe the problem is, is that we haven't totally grasped the urgency behind the call to be fishers of men. Or, or maybe, we haven't, maybe, we, maybe we've just forgotten the urgency behind the call or, or lost the urgency behind the call to be fishers of men. So I want to make sure that we understand the urgency for what's underwater. It's in your study sheet. The, the urgency for what's underwater. And... And not to sound morbid, but do you, do you realize that what being born into this world got all of us? Being born in this world got all of us a one-way ticket to death. It was a foregone conclusion before the moment we were born that it's going to happen to all of us. Now we're just talking about how much time each of us get. That's all we're talking about. Tomorrow isn't promised for any of us, so there's urgency to reach people before it's too late, it's too, before it's too late for them to come into a relationship with the Lord, and before it's too late for us to have opportunities to be used that way and store up eternal rewards in heaven. And listen, y'all, we are living in the very last of the last days. Do you believe that? I'm, I'm not sure we have that much time left. I'm really not sure of that. So, so think about this. If our assessment of the lateness of the hour is right, then it's possible that believers in this room and on this planet right now have less time to be used to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ on average than any other group of people that's ever lived. If Jesus came back right now, 40-year-old believers that would have lived to be 70 miss out on 30 years to be used of the Lord and to make an abundant entrance into his kingdom. 40-year-old unbelievers that would have lived to be 70 and would have, they would have 30 less years to call upon the name of the Lord to save them. And the point I want us to see, y'all, is time is short, and it could be shorter for us on average than any other group of people in the church age. There's urgency. And it's high time that we do like Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, and we put our hand to the plow and don't, took, don't look back. We, we, we need to understand the urgency of being fishers of men. We may not have much time. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 teaches us, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, and that's them that without Christ, redeeming the time. 
We're to redeem the time and walk in wisdom towards those that don't believe. Have you ever thought about the phrase, redeeming the time? You remember how we all used to do with, with tickets at the arcade? We'd play video games, you know, maybe a little Contra, maybe a little NBA Jam. We'd, I'm showing my age there. We'd get, we, 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 we'd get these tickets after playing the game and we'd go redeem those tickets, wouldn't we? For one of the cheapest and chintziest toys that you've ever seen in your life. So, so we're to redeem the time in the sense that we should be using the time investing in things that we can redeem for reward in eternity. That will reap eternal reward. But I believe there's a little bit more to this word than just that. I think it's a little more rich. You know, something, incredibly, something incredible happened to all of us the moment we called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. We were redeemed according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. That's the Bible word for it, redeemed. And the reason that the Bible uses that word is, is because of our sin, in, in order for Christ to provide salvation for us, there was a price that needed to be paid, a sacrifice that needed to be made in order to buy us back. That's what the word redeemed means, to, to buy back. A price needed to be paid, a sacrifice needed to be made to buy back the lost and thus redeem us. So Jesus paid the price and made the sacrifice to redeem what was lost. Now would you guys all agree that we have lost and wasted a lot of time in our lives? And so similar to when Christ redeemed us, and in light of the fact that we've all lost and wasted a whole bunch of time, in order for us to redeem the time or to make up for the lost time or in order for us to, to buy back that which was lost, there's a price that needs to be paid and a sacrifice that needs to be made in order to buy that time back, in order to buy the time that was lost. The time is late. We must redeem the time. We must buy it back. And in order to buy it back, there's a price that has to be paid and sacrifices that have to be made. What, what, what if we started by just eliminating the stuff that doesn't matter? What if, what if in order to redeem the time, what if we turned off the TV a little more often and put down the phone a little more often and quit wasting our lives on a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter when we've been called to be fishers of men? And fishing for men is the only thing we can't do better in heaven than we can do on earth. We got to buy back the time. And y'all, it goes even further than that. Yeah, man, you're right. I need to start doing that. This isn't like exercise, y'all, where, you know, you know, yeah, yeah, man, I need to start doing that exercise thing, but you're 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 not really wrong if you don't. Guys, I, I think if we're ever gonna be a part of a remnant of people who actually grasp this call to be fishers of men, then we need to own what this thing really is. And what it really is is sin. When every single person in this room who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior got saved, you inherited the ministry of reconciliation and became ambassadors for Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And we've been called to go and teach all nations and to be fishers of men. So for us to live lives contrary to what we've been called to, 
is sin. And I know that, you know, there may be some of you sitting here thinking, man, I knew I should be evangelizing the lost, but I've never really thought of falling short in that category as like sin. But guys, it most certainly is. It's what's called the sin of omission. I have it in your study sheet as not fishing is the sin of omission. Not fishing is the sin of omission. Have you all ever heard of the sin of omission before? There was a popular book about it years ago. We, we tend to not view sin this way, and, and maybe it goes back to our introduction to sin in the Bible. Because the first sin in the Bible, it's a, it's a sin of commission, not a sin of omission. God tells Adam, don't eat of that tree. And Adam tells Eve what God said, and, and Eve goes and eats of that tree anyway. That's a sin of commission. You were told what not to do, and you go and actively do it anyway. You're sinning by acting on something that you shouldn't. And I think that's the lens that we just tend to view sin through. Sins of commission are when you act on doing something that you know you shouldn't. So it's stealing, it's lusting, it's lying, it's deceiving, it's wrath, malice, gossip. It's all the things that we typically associate with sinning. While sins of commission, though, are when you act on something you know you shouldn't, sins of omission are when you don't act on something that you know you should. For example, it's, it's like when a parent tells their kid, I don't know why video games keep coming up, but I don't even play them, but here comes another video game one. Hey, no video games tonight. You need to give that thing a rest for once. And you walk in the room 10 minutes later, they've got the controller in hand, they're in the middle of a game of Fortnite. See, I know what the cool games are still. <laughs> they got their headset on. They're talking smack to some stranger on the stinking internet. Well, okay, in this case, they have acted on something that they knew they shouldn't have. That's a sin of commission. On the other hand, if you tell your kid to clean the room and they don't do it, this is clearly disobedience, but in this case... It's, it's not because of what they've done, it's because of what they haven't done. This is a sin of omission. And it comes back to this principle that we glean from James chapter 4 and verse 17. James 4 and verse 17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. When we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it isn't something that God takes lightly. He, he says, for you to know what I told you to do and to not do it, it's actually sin. In, in, in fact, it's, it's just as much sin as all the things that we commonly perceive to be sin or commonly look at as sin. It's, it's just as much sin as lying. It's just as much sin as stealing and cheating and lusting and all of those things go down the list. And though we tend to think of, of sin in, in general, we tend to think of it in terms of sins of commission, and we tend to take sins of commission more seriously than we do sins of omission. God doesn't. God takes it very seriously. And in fact, do y'all know what ultimately sends a lost person to hell? Have you ever thought about that? Is it a sin of commission or is it a sin of omission? Look at John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9 with me. And, and, and here we have uh, Jesus talking. He's, he's talking about the fact that, 
that after he ascends back to heaven, he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says. And when he is come, he being the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, and why does he have to reprove the world of sin? Or what is ultimately the sin that unbelievers go to hell for? And here it is. Of sin, because they believe not on me. You realize that no one goes to hell ultimately just for sinning? They go to hell for rejecting the cure to sin. No one dies because they're sick. They die because they don't get well. Everyone on the planet has the opportunity to accept God's free gift of salvation by putting our faith in Christ, the one who paid for our sins by his death on the cross, so that we don't have to stay sick and we can get well. Refusing to get well is what ultimately sends unbelievers to hell. And do you know what kind of sin refusing to get well is? By rejecting God's call to salvation in your life and not acting on something that you know that you should do and not doing the good that you know to do and not believing on Jesus' work in the cro- on the cross, what kind of sin is that? It's the sin of omission. And obviously I don't say that to say that if you don't evangelize and don't follow Jesus so he can't, and, you don't, and you're not a fisher of men and you don't evangelize, I'm not saying that that means you're going to hell. That's definitely not what I'm saying the, The point is to change our way of thinking as it relates to the seriousness and the severity of the sin of omission that we seem to take lightly. Heaven is going to be full of people that committed sins of commission like lying, fornication, murder, and even worse things that I don't even want to mention in this room. But there won't be one person there that committed the sin of omission as it relates to our responsibility to call on the name of the Lord to save us. And again, the point is that God takes the sin of omission every bit as seriously as he takes the sin of commission, and in this particular case, even more seriously than the sin of commission. We tend to view sin as the bad things we do, and in reality, it's not just the bad things we do, it's the good that we don't do. Ultimately, sins of commission and sins of omission are both willful disobedience. And, and, and have you ever noticed that when we, when we, how doing the good things that we've been called to do is actually connected to us stopping doing the things that we know we shouldn't do? It's kind of crazy how this thing works, but you see in, in Galatians 5, we, we learned about this concept of walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. And and Paul lays out for us all of, all of these bad characteristics related to walking in the flesh. And then he lays out all these good characteristics related to walking in the Spirit. And I know most of you guys are somewhat familiar with this concept, but have you ever thought about what it says in Galatians 5.16? Check it out. Thus I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, When you're proactively pursuing and walking in the fruit of the Spirit and and walking in all of those good characteristics that are associated with that, then you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We we just saw that sins of commission are when when you act on something you know you shouldn't and sins of omission are when you don't act on something you know you should. So as it relates to the fact when we walk in the Spirit, 
We don't fulfill the lust of, we, we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh and, and tie into these ideas. This is how we would do it. We, we could say it this way. Acting on what we know we should do is connected to us stopping doing the things we know that we shouldn't do. If we were to tie those ideas together. So in order to stop doing the wrong things, what we don't do is focus on, I'm going to stop doing all the wrong things. No, that's not what we do. We, our focus is on starting to do the right things. And certainly that's not to dismiss this idea of, of dying to self, which is most definitely a part of walking in the Spirit. But we have to understand that dying works hand in hand with living. So it's not just dying to self. It's dying to self and living unto good works. And I say all that to say that, that interestingly enough, if we find ourselves struggling with doing the wrong things we shouldn't, there's a really good chance it's connected to the fact that we aren't doing the right things that we know that we should. And like we've been studying this morning, not doing the good that we know that we should, or not doing what we've been commanded to do, it's the sin of omission, but the sin of omission is connected to the sin of commission. If we, if we weren't committing the sin of omission, we wouldn't struggle so much to stop committing the sins of commission. So the point is, is that this thing of the sin of omission, y'all, it's serious, it's further reaching than we even understand, and it's disobedience. And I believe that God wants us to see the sin of omission the same way that he sees it. You see, a lot of us have this sin of commission thing. We kind of got that thing down pat. We would never think of stealing or lying even, or cheating, or fornicating. We would never do that. That's sinful, and it is. But we go day after day, and month after month, and year after year without fishing for men, and doing the one thing God left for us to do that we won't be able to do better once we get to heaven. The way I, I've been saying it to the folks that at Cali Harbin Baptist Church is, is some, it's almost like we've adopted the morality of Christianity but forgot about the mission. And we need to own the fact that as believers in Jesus Christ who've been called to be fishers of men and our refusal to obey that command that we're actually living in sin and it actually demands repenting. If we don't see it the way that God sees it, my fear is, is that we'll never turn the corner on it. And that's number four in your outline, the remedy for repentance. The, the remedy for repentance. For most of us, if, if day after day we were lying and lusting and stealing and plugging your go-to sin in the list, our, conscious, our conscience would be giving us fits, wouldn't it? We'd feel terrible. We'd lose sleep. The guilt would be almost too much. But we've gotten ourselves to the place where we ignore clear commandments that the, that, that, that the God that died for us and the God that bought and paid for us gave to us, and we don't bat an eye doing that. When we're not fishing, y'all, it's the, it's the sin of omission. And it's a sin that just like any other sin, we need to come before the Lord and, and we need to, to repent. We need to repent of it. And, and not the repenting where we come to a service like this and, and we start feeling some conviction from the Lord and then we come before the Lord and we confess our sin and then we're like, oh, 
that feels better now it's for lunch not, 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 not that while we you know we do that while we know good and well that we're going to wake up tomorrow and we're not going to be any more about the mission or be any more about a, being fishers of men than we were the day before I think that we'd be better off just not saying anything to God if that's the case and you know that's the case at least we'd be owning the fact we'd be acknowledging where we were We'd be owning the fact that we're disobedient and living in sin and we intend to stay that way. As opposed to disingenuously repenting. At least then we'd be real with ourselves and real with God. Being, when, we, when we're disingenuous with our repentance, it reminds me of what Jesus said when quoting a prophecy from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 8. He says, This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips. Ah, but their heart, it's, it's far from me. You see, y'all, God's looking for something real. He's looking for repentance, but he's looking for genuine repentance. He's looking for godly repentance. And, and godly repentance, biblically, it, it, starts with, it starts with letter A. It starts with confession. It starts with confession. So here's what it looks like. We confess or admit that we've been guilty of the sin of omission, or we've been guilty of not answering the call and not understanding the urgency behind the call to be fishers of men. We've fallen short of that one thing we can do better on this planet than we can do in heaven. And then next, godly repentance requires transformation. It, it requires transformation. It requires a change in direction. Like I was saying a, a few minutes ago, anything short of transformation, it's, it's just lip service. It, it's drawn near to God with our mouth, but our, our heart is, is far from him. So we need to make a turn. We need, to, we need to make this change of direction as we begin to live our lives proactively pursuing and understanding the urgency behind the call to be fishers of men and man with a sense of urgency proactively pursuing, reaching unbelievers with the gospel, which is the only way to justify us being here. And then lastly, biblically or, or, or biblical or, or godly repentance, oftentimes it required restitution. Oftentimes it, it, it required restitution. And you know what restitution is? Restitution is restoring what was lost or restoring what was taken. And you know, for, for most of us, there's, there's quite a bit that's been lost through the years, hasn't there? We were talking earlier about lost time. For, for most of us, there's a lot of time and, and there's a lot of opportunities that we've lost or that, that we've wasted and, and, and we can't go back and reinvest that. But do you know what we can do? We can do what we talked about earlier. We can... We can redeem the time. We, we can make a, an attempt to make restitution for the time. You know, when, when, you're watching a, when you're watching a football game on TV and a, and a team is losing by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, you know how Michigan usually is to Ohio State. We give them one every 10 years. When they're down by two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, what do the announcers say? They need to make up for lost time. In other words, they, they need to redeem the time. They need to make restitution for the time. 
And you know what they mean by that? They mean that with whatever time they have left in the game, they better understand the urgency and they better hustle like never before and sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed and pay the price that needs to be paid and give it all they have and in essence buy back or redeem the time that they have left before the game ends and it's too late. Listen, we've all lost and wasted time. But we can take whatever time we have left and we can redeem it and we can make restitution for as much time as God will allow. I believe we're late in the fourth quarter. And understanding the urgency, y'all. We hustle like never before. We make the sacrifices that need to be made. We pay the price that needs to be paid. We give it all we have in order to buy back the time or buy back that was lost, what was lost. And thus, redeem the time or make restitution for it. And that's what genuine godly repentance looks like. Confession, transformation, and restitution. Father, we come before you and we love you, Lord. You, you gave us a purpose in this life that lives far beyond ourselves. It's a, it's a purpose that's, that's eternal. And yes, it's a responsibility, Lord, but wow, it is such a privilege. We have the opportunity and been tasked with being fishers of men. Wow, what an incredible, incredible thought that is. Oh God, may we take that seriously. May we, may, may we understand the significance of of you using that analogy. May we, may we understand the urgency of that thing. May we redeem the time, whatever time we have left, God. May we hustle like we've never hustled. May we go for it like we've never gone for it before with whatever time you'll allow us, God. God, I pray that's what we do. I pray that would be our heart. I pray that we would repent and confess to you that sin of omission that has that has been haunting good Bible-believing Christians for far too long, and it's time to turn the corner on that thing. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.